Okay, I'm obsessed with Audible because it lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And with female writers and heroines, celebrity narration, multicast productions, Audible has you covered for every type of excitement that you're looking for, including true crime and mystery. And I know all of you love that too. For example, right now, I'm listening to None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. That's audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two hour nap because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The amazing Kate Casey. Welcome back for another episode of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Today's episode is about a new Hulu docuseries called Daughters of the Cult. It is a shocking five-episode deep dive into the history of a splinter group of Mormon fundamentalist cult members who perpetrated a deadly wave of violence and abuse for decades in the name of their fanatical prophet, Ervil LeBaron. Dubbed the Mormon Manson, LeBaron and his followers were hidden in plain sight throughout the Southwest and Mexico. Now, past members of the infamous cult tell the true story behind the string of murderous crimes. After the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints officially abandoned the practice of polygamy in 1890, some polygamous Mormons, who were later excommunicated from the LDS Church, moved south to Mexico to continue the practice without the interference of the U.S. government. One of the Mormons, Alma Sr., moved his family, which included his two wives and eight children, to northern Mexico in 1924, where they started a colony called the LeBaron Colony, a farm in Chihuahua, Mexico. When Alma died in 1951, he passed the leadership of the community onto his son, Joel, who eventually incorporated the community as the Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness of Times in Salt Lake City, Utah. Ervil, Joel's younger brother, was his second in command during the early years of the church's existence. In 1972, Ervil fell out with Joel and started the Church of the Firstborn of the Lamb of God in San Diego. Later that year, Ervil ordered Joel's murder in Mexico. In 1974, Ervil was tried and convicted in Mexico for Joel's murder. His conviction was overturned on a technicality. Now, some have alleged this was the result of a bribe. Ervil's followers subsequently raided Los Molinos in an effort to kill his brother Verlan, who was in Nicaragua, but the town was destroyed and the two men were killed. So Ervil LeBaron's attention also focused on rival polygamous leaders. He also ordered the murders of members of his own family and those of his supporters. On June 1, 1979, Ervil LeBaron was apprehended by police in Mexico and extradited to the United States. In 1980, he was sentenced to life imprisonment at the Utah State Prison in Draper, Utah. While he was in prison, he wrote a 400-page Bible known as the Book of the New Covenants, which included a commandment to kill disobedient church members who were included in a hit list written by LeBaron. 
Some 20 copies were printed and distributed, and three of the murders were carried out simultaneously on June 27, 1988, at 4 o'clock p.m. Herbal LeBaron died on August 16, 1981, in prison from an apparent suicide. Herbal's brother, Verlan, whom Herbal had tried to murder himself, died in an auto accident in Mexico City two days after Herbal's body was discovered in a cell. In an October of 2012 interview with Vice magazine, Verlon LeBaron's grandson Brent stated that at least some in that family believe that this may not have been a coincidence. So the families, as one could imagine, have had to unravel his evilness and build back their lives brick by brick in which they've done. So many have had their own faith weaponized against them, forcing them to partake in crimes because they believe they were listening to a prophet who spoke directly to God. Daughters of the Cult features interviews with surviving ex-members, including multiple children of LeBaron, who speak about their experience being raised under their father's rule. Fresh insight comes from relatives and law enforcement who worked on the murder cases, painting an emotional and grisly picture of a brutal madman ordering cold-blooded executions. Despite running from the FBI for most of their young lives, there is triumph and healing for the brave few men and women who escaped and began anew. Daughters of the Cult is produced by ABC News Studios, All3 Media, and Main Event Media. This is my interview with two of Herbal LeBaron's two daughters, Celia and Anna. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. If you could just encapsulate how your father and his family were able to kind of break themselves away from the original church. They didn't intentionally break away. The church broke away from them Mm. in the sense that they were practicing polygamy. They were living the religion the way they understood it to be and the way that it originally intended. But then, um, then the church changed the doctrine and said no more polygamy. And so our family, our ancestors, I guess you would say, knew that it had been taught it could never be changed. So they were, we were taught all our lives that um, the Latter-day Saints were the apostates and we mm-hmm. were the ones that were carrying forth the truth. I think that this also, the story speaks to the fragility of the mind and how when you're raised with a certain set of beliefs, it takes a lot of time to unravel all of that. And you are one, you guys are both one of more than 50 children of this infamous polygamist cult leader. And what surprised me, Anna, is that you had only spent a handful of times with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't meet my father until I was nine years old that I can recall. And so in the, when I was nine uh, living in Mexico, you know, he walked into the house one day and that was my first time seeing my father. I got to spend time with him two times um, while I was there with him. And then not many years later, he was arrested. So that was the last time, the first and last time I got to see him. I think biologically, we are inclined to connect with our family, with our caregivers. And Mm. because that connection is so strong for survival, it helps the species survive. Because of that, it it is very, very difficult to pull away from those very ingrained beliefs and connections. 
So Ervil starts his own sect, the Church of the Lamb of God, and he believed in the blood of atonement. Can you explain to them, to, to all of us, what that meant? Well, blood atonement is a doctrine that states that there are some sins that the blood of Christ can't cover. And so you must atone for those sins with the shedding of your own blood. And so oftentimes um, in our cult and in our family of origin, uh, somebody that was going to leave the cult would consider, that was considered, you know, one of the unpardonable sins. So you had to atone for that with the shedding of your blood. And so it was a really um, backwards way of helping somebody get to the highest degree of glory if they turned away from the truth and walked away from the cult. You're in Mexico and you, unbeknownst to, to all of you, it's essentially a cult hideout. What was the situation like as you were growing up? What were the circumstances in which you were born into? Well, originally it was a hideout just to hide out for polygamy's sake, not for carrying out murders. Let me just say that. We were born in a fundamentalist Mormon commune in Mexico. And originally it was just to practice the what they believed was, you know, the law of polygamy and having multiple wives and not be persecuted for it. And eventually when my dad took over, he was the one who instilled the doctrine of blood atonement or or started carrying out that doctrine of blood atonement. There was an original teaching in the Mormon religion, in the Mormon faith, but he's the one that brought it back. And we lived a very difficult life, extremely impoverished. Um, and once the killing started, it was a very, um, I mean, we were moved from place to place constantly. We hardly ever stayed in the same home for like a solid year. We can't even count up the number of homes that we lived in in our lives. We've sat and tried to count up the number of homes that we've lived in with all of our siblings sitting around the table and we cannot get it straight. And part of the reason was is because we were often separated and people, uh, the different sibling groups would be separated out. Older siblings would be sent off to the different factions of the cult that were spread out throughout the Southwest United States. Or to become yeah. wives. And so uh -huh. we were not always together. And so us trying to remember and, and make a narrative of it with the timeline and the houses, it just falls apart every time because we didn't all stay this together the whole time. As a matter of fact, it was so odd that um, because there were so many people that were wanted by the law, um, our, the group members were coming and going often in the middle of the night. So the people in the house that you went to sleep with, by the time you woke up in the morning, the configuration had changed. People came and left in the middle of the night because so many people were wanted. And not only wanted, but sometimes those people that you went to bed thinking they were in the house with you would wind up later, you'd find out had been killed and were not in the oh house because gosh. they had died. Yeah. So, and we never, we never knew and we were taught not to ask. You were not allowed to ask about who was where and when you, would you get to see somebody again? And, and we were just so used to always having, having it shift and change right yeah. under our feet. Yeah. It was a very transitory, very transitory life that we led. And often, um, especially when we lived in Denver, we were dumpster diving for food and, you know, robbing the Goodwill boxes for clothing. It was just such a impoverished life. Um, 
you, people would be taken out of school to slave laborers in these, you know, warehouses where we worked. It was just, it was an awful way to grow up. Mm-hmm. So not only are you I, dealing with, not only are you dealing with child labor, you're also dealing with sexual grooming. You're mm-hmm. moving from home to home. I would assume that some of those siblings were assaulted, especially late into the evening. And all the while you're being taught that you were essentially God's chosen people and that the world outside didn't understand you. And that was how they were able to explain why you're moving in the middle of the night and staying Mm -hmm. ahead of the law. Yeah. We were persecuted because we were God's people. So we always had to be moving and shifting and, um, and staying ahead of the law because we were persecuted. That was the narrative. And we were taught to lie to everybody. And we were taught how to escape detection. If we were enrolled in school and we had half siblings in the school, we always called them our cousins and the sister wives we always referred to as our aunts, just Mm -hmm. to avoid people having questions about our family. Because we often lived with multiple sister wives and all of their children in one house. We could have in a 1500 square foot home, we could have 20 children and three Mm -hmm. wives. And all the ones that were um, in school were all going to the same school with the same address. There was no <laughs> internet. So I don't know if they caught on to what was happening. But um, yeah, yeah. But then other siblings were taken out of school quite early. So they weren't enrolled. They were just in the warehouse working 12 hour days, six mm-hmm. days a week, 70 hours a week as children. I, I was in the warehouse when I, from the mm-hmm. time I was 10, I worked in the warehouse uh, 70 hours a week when I wasn't in school. I, we were always grateful to be able to go to school. Yes. What was the yeah. highest level of education that one of the kids was able to achieve, like eighth grade? I mean, often, the, especially the boys would get pulled out of school in second or third, third or grade. Oh, man. We have a sister that never went past sixth grade. Right. Um, you know, it depended on the circumstances and which family you were with and how important it was. And how much they needed workers. If they needed yeah. workers, they just pulled you out of school. Yeah. I was really, really lucky. I, Anna left when she was 13, so she got to, you know, finish high school. But I was really lucky that I was able to go until the uh, 11th grade. I finished my junior year and I was, I was an honor student. I was, uh, I had excellent grades. I loved school. Um, that was part of why you'll learn in the documentary that I ran away finally was because they wouldn't let me finish my senior year. And Mm -hmm. I wanted so badly to finish at least college was never an option. Even in my head, it was just, that was not possible, but I had known other people to graduate high school and I wanted to be one of those people. Well, also by becoming a high school graduate, there was probably a fear that you would learn too much. By mm-hmm. withholding an education, they can continue to control you. Yeah, they, they could subjugate you. Limited. Yeah, and you're mm-hmm. subjugated. Uneducated, you're subjugated. I know everybody right now is on a health kick, and that's why I want to tell you about Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes, so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. It could be you too. 
Rowbody program members have support throughout the process. Rose partner handles all of the insurance paperwork to help get medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to the provider on demand for any questions. And you can sign up online from the comfort of your own home. And this means no scheduling a doctor's appointment, no commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.com slash KKC. Sign up today and you're going to pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash KKC. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And when you go to school, by the way, is it uh, in an informal school? Is it a public school? Well, it depends. It depends on where you live. Depends on where we've been living at the time and what was happening. We weren't always in the same place. When we were in Colorado, where the slave labor was the most brutal, it was regular public school. When we were in Houston under Mark and Lillian, um, we had a little school built out, like a little homeschool type thing situation built out in the garage. Mm. So we worked half a day under them. And then half of the day we were in the little garage school. Now I should also note that it was a, a sister that Anna, that took you in. Talk to me a little bit about your sister and her husband and how important they were in helping you escape and really giving you the the self-esteem, the confidence in order to stay away from the group. Right. When we, like Celia was saying, when we lived in Denver, we were subjugated in slave labor. And then we moved to Houston. And for a while, it was Mark and Lillian who were in charge of the Houston faction of the group. And Mark was very benevolent to Erbil's children because his wife, Lillian, was our half-sister, one of Erbil's daughters. And so they wanted good things for us. And they they did that. They provided better for us than we had ever experienced in our whole life. And so after my father died in prison, um, that was when my mom decided to move back to Denver, which to me was incredibly horrifying to think about moving back to Denver where we were just subjugated in slave labor. Mm-hmm. And we had it so well, it's so good in Houston because that was the best life we'd ever known. And so when I found out my mom was moving back to Denver, I wanted nothing to do with that. So I called Lillian, just not understanding what was happening. I just said, I don't want to go back to Denver. And she said, start walking. Start walking. And what eventually happened to Mark? Um, Well, I did go to live with Mark and Lillian. They took me in and finished raising me. And during that time, um, they also got out of the cult. Um, At the time that I ran away, they weren't like out completely because getting out. They were quietly out, weren't they? They were were quietly out, but not, they were edging out, but they were on the fringe. They were not solidly out because that put a target on your back. 
But over the course of the years that I lived with them for about five or six years, they were out. Mm-hmm. And eventually, um, the, the, what we feared that, you know, he would get killed for leaving um, happened. And then what happened to Lillian? Um, about uh, seven months after the events that became known as the four o'clock murders, where Mark was killed along with three others, um, Lillian took her life. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What what an incredible loss to you. And and what a way that they, their legacy, the way that they were able to help you escape. Because one can yeah. only imagine all of you living under these circumstances, how long it would take you to unravel all that was told to you, to mm-hmm. separate your own ideology from what was essentially you were brainwashed into. What yeah. was the moment of your awakening? When I found a book that had been written about our family called The Prophet of Blood in some of Lillian's belongings squirreled away in a cabinet somewhere, a drawer. And I read this book in its entirety over like a 24-hour period. And that's when I knew like, oh my God. Our family killed people. Our fam, All these people that I was like, just they just disappeared and I didn't know where they were. Oh, they're dead. Like, I didn't know that people were dying. And until I read that book, I didn't even know I was born in a cult. But for Celia, the the awakening was very different and much more later. When Anna ran away, when she decided she was not going back to Denver, and I remember Denver. Denver was very still vivid in my mind, how hard we had to work and how brutal it was and the beatings and the abuse and the... 12 hour days and the bean sandwiches for lunch and the no payment and, um, you know, the, the very, very harsh conditions of, of Denver. But if my mom said we had to go back to Denver, I was a prayerful celestial child and I was absolutely fully brainwashed. And I knew you have to honor your mother and your father. There's like no question. So me going back to Denver, there was no question. And so when I went, uh, when I went back with my mom, I lived for three more years under that brutality until it became, it became directed at me. Whereas Mm. before I was able to be so compliant and so obedient that the terrible things, the beatings and the abuse was minimal uh, upon my person even though I watched it with other people and it did happen, but it wasn't as awful. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I think I became a threat because I was older and I was so faithful and I was trying so hard to do things that were right. And eventually they thought they, I mean, I think they felt threatened and had to subjugate me further. So their hostility and their abuse was directed at me in a very real sense. And it was more than I could take. To the point where even my faith was, um, I, I I had to question. I, I didn't question my faith per se, but I had to question my ability to stay under those circumstances. And there's certain things I was I was 19. Like I didn't have a bank account. I didn't ha- own anything. My clothes didn't even belong to me and could be taken, you know, and given to others. I I, I had no ownership of of literally anything after being out for six months. That's when I finally was able to like have some glimmers of allowing myself to question 
was that really right? Was that really just? Was that really godly? Like that, it was took me about six months before I would even allow a thought like that to enter my head because you don't want God to hear you questioning, you know, the the truth mm-hmm. because you don't want to be punished. So, um, so I didn't want to be an apostate. It just gradually happened because I once you're able to get out and be in free society and start questioning, it's very hard to see how any of that can be true. So when our father died in prison, he was our prophet. And we were all rallied around like he was the one and only true prophet upon the face of the earth, according to what we're taught. So once he died, that left an opening for someone else to take power. And unfortunately, there were about four different factions. So what happened is our group splintered. And then these other factions were now rivals. Mm-hmm. So when I say they thought we were taken by Mark or we were taken by Dan, those were a couple of the other factions that it got splintered into. So Mark was over here. He wasn't trying to claim authority. He wasn't claiming to be a prophet, but he was taking people in and, and helping them and you know, trying to help us get educated and trying to, you know, live his life there. And, and anybody that was under him, he would take them in to, to, to help. Dan was actually claiming to be the next prophet. And there were a couple other people who were also claiming that authority. And they were starting to kill each other off. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. We wanted, uh, one, to humanize um, the people that were involved in these horrific acts and crimes. Because it's hard to understand um, when you're born and raised in a cult and you're brainwashed um, it's hard for people who've not experienced that to understand mm-hmm. how someone could do the things that will be depicted in this documentary. Mm-hmm. And we want and we hope that us explaining, you know, the the circumstances that we were born into and raised in um, and that our siblings were raised in, that 
people will uh, gain an understanding and also have some compassion. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a story. I mean, if you met me on the street, you wouldn't know that this was my story. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a story, no matter who it is you meet, they have a story. And oftentimes they need so much compassion and empathy from others in order to um, kind of break out of that mold and, mm-hmm. and create a life that they're proud of. And that's what everybody in our family. All, we know all some, some in our family had, did not get that opportunity Yeah, because guess what? They committed murders. They were caught. They were put in prison never to get out. And these siblings of ours were slave labor, some of them, 12-hour days, six days a week, nine in the morning till nine o'clock at night, till way into the dark of the night, working in this warehouse. They Then it was all-day church on Sunday for brainwashing. Mm-hmm. They didn't even get exposure hardly because they didn't go past third or fourth grade. And then they were... Um, hardly even going into grocery stores with, you you know, typical humans. They were, we were dumpster diving behind the grocery stores. So they didn't have much exposure to any outside influences. Mm -hmm. And so then they're sent as teenagers out to be hitmen. Right. And so they never chosen that, except it was forced upon them and they had to obey. If you didn't obey, you were dead. And then think about the childhood developmental trauma that occurs in growing up in circumstances like these abject poverty, every kind of deprivation and abuse, abandonment, abuse, neglect, every single thing that you're imagining and worse than you're probably imagining Mm -hmm. with what we were subjected to and our siblings. And so that is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this is because we wanted to speak up for our siblings. And you definitely did so. Doing this and And this is something that is so important to us that the world understand, if possible. It's we not hope. because they were evil. Right. They were not evil. They were kind, good-hearted people, just like Anna and I. And the cult, the cult disbanded and burned itself to the ground in the early 90s. And literally every one of us that made it out alive, because not every one of our siblings or, or did. Not in prison. Every one of us that got out have uh, created a life for ourselves that we're proud of. That's awesome. That's great. And so, you know, the Maya Angelou quote, you know, once you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. The minute every one of us had the opportunity to know better and figure things out, we We all did did better. It's, that is the real story here is the last 30 years of us rebuilding our lives from the ashes that around us, taking the good things because there were very few good things that survived that cult burning itself to the ground. We had to take the very few good things that we had and rebuild from the ground up without any adults to mm-hmm. help us. Well, it's an extraordinary... It's just, they were all killed. They were all killed or in prison. All the, yeah, yeah. All the adults were being put in prison or being killed. And the kids had to just rise up and figure out life. And we did. Mm-hmm. so proud of our siblings today yeah you should even be. the ones that are guilty of the things in prison that, yeah even who, the ones in prison who, have, who know now that what they did wasn't for god and are still having to suffer the i mean they have lost their entire lives to this cult 
not because, and I don't even, I mean, like, I just want to repeat, they never would have done this on their own. It was not in their natures. They were good, kind, warm-hearted, just very sincere followers who were led by fear. So you can see how passionate we are about this. As you should be. (laughs) Tell everybody where they can find your book. Um, Well, my book is on uh, anywhere that you buy your books, independent booksellers, including libraries. If you have a library card, it's on Audible. And I read the Audible edition. So I would be happy to read it to you. And um, on social media, I'm everywhere on social media. I'm Anna K. LeBaron. So you can find me on most social media. And um, after you watch it, you know, let me know. Tag me in a post to let me know you watched. And Celia, where can people find you? So I'm, you know, on social media. I'm not as active as I probably should be. Anna tries to help me with that. I'm not the technology queen by any means, but I'm, you know, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and now threads, I guess, Anna, mm-hmm. right? You, you tell them where to find me. You know better than I do. And we're both on TikTok, but I was a little more active on TikTok a while back than I have been recently. Well, thank you so much for your time. I want to thank my great guests, Celia and Anna, and remind you to click subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you may listen to podcasts. Join the Facebook group, Reality Life with Kate Casey. I would love to hear what you think of this series. And you can also get my must-watch list, which is essential if you want to know what to watch each week in unscripted television, reality shows, documentaries, and docuseries. You can do so by going to katecasey.substack.com. Also, you can get bonus episodes and do not miss out on those by going to Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash Kate Casey. Also, lastly, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at at Kate Casey, C-A, TikTok, it's Kate Casey, and on threads and Twitter at at Kate Casey. Hope that you're having a great, great new year. Happy new year to all of you. And... As always, I will circle back with you all this week. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth, a haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide, and best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.